We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. Hey, as we continue in this series, let me just remind you about where we've been over the last few weeks this morning in this series called Gospel Generosity. We started in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 a few weeks ago with Pastor Matt and Pastor Todd teaching us uh, out of chapter 8. And in this series, we've been walking through, we've been seeing Paul, and Paul is writing to these believers in Corinth, and he's encouraging them to, to be generous in this offering that they're taking up to give to the, the, the church that is struggling in Jerusalem, to poor Christians, poor believers in Jerusalem. So now the interesting thing about that is you have the church at Corinth, which is a bunch of Gentiles, non-Jews, and the church at Macedonia, another Gentile church. And so you have two churches, both giving towards meeting the needs of the church in Jerusalem. And so Paul is writing to the church at Corinth that is prosperous and well off, and he's encouraging them uh, to be generous and to give. But he wants their generosity to not come from guilt and to not come from this, this place of like duty, but to rather come in response and give in response to the gospel, to what Jesus Christ has done for them, that they would be overwhelmed by his grace, overwhelmed by his goodness, and they would give out of the overflow of their hearts in response to all that they have received. In fact, Paul makes this explicitly clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. That was our key verse for the whole series. And so if you, go, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. It'll be on the screens as well. But let me remind you where we started on week one with this thing and where we've been every week thereafter and where we'll be again today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What's Paul doing here? Paul is challenging them to give from the vantage point of the cross. He's saying, look at the cross of Christ. Consider how broke you were, how much you owe that you could not pay. Jesus paid it all on the cross of Calvary on your behalf for you. And so when you look at the cross, I want you to give now in light of that. I want you to realize that you had nothing to offer, nothing to give. And Jesus, who was rich, became poor on your behalf. He took it all. He paid your debt in full. And now you are free to live, but to live generously out of the overflow of all that you have received from Jesus. He's saying, look at Jesus' generosity, in other words. Look at how much he has given you. And now in response to that, be generous. Give. Give your life away. Give generously to the advancement of the gospel. So today, that's what we're going to be looking at, is how our generosity advances the gospel. 
You know, people are kind of funny when it comes to their money. How many of you in this room would say that you would consider yourself a saver? Like you like to save money. You're kind of what we'd call maybe a penny pincher. You like It's okay. Hey, there's a lot of us in the room. Go ahead and raise your hand. Let me see your hands. Don't be shy. You like to save. Get it on up. Don't be proud. Be proud that you like to save money. I, I would rather be a saver than a spender. So that leads me to my next one. Raise your hand. I guess we have a room full of spenders. Raise your hand if you're a spender. All the ladies in the room are like, that's me. That's me. And the husbands are going, yeah, that's them. That's them. But it, so I see, see some of them, the roles are reversed. So and then there's some of us that are spenders for certain things. And man, we're striving to be savers and we want to be better. And so um, I was thinking about this message the other day and I was reminded of a story of, of my son, my 10-year-old son, Brock. He's in the fifth grade. Uh, and if any of you have kids around that age, you're, you're going to understand where I'm going with this here in a minute. But Brock came home the other day from school and it seems like every time I turn around, he's coming home and there's something at school that he, he, he needs to buy, that they've offered, that they brought something to the school and it's whether it's a fundraiser or you name it, there's always something to buy. And so I guess they had some type of uh, entertainer or something there the other day that was doing uh, these tricks with yo-yos. Y'all remember the, old, the Dunkin' yo-yos, uh, the old school trick? It's like a vintage toy now, right? We used to play with it. Now our kids are like, what is this thing and what does it do? Um, so they, they had a, a show where this guy was doing tricks with the yo-yo, you know, walking the dog and doing all those things. My son comes home and he's like, Dad, I need 12 bucks. And I'm like, 12 bucks for what? And he's like, man, I, I, I need to go buy a yo-yo tomorrow. And I'm like, you don't even know what a yo-yo is. And he's like, yes, I do. They, they came to school today. They, they had them. They were showing us tricks. So I want to go and I was like, man, when did a yo-yo start to cost $12, man? Like what happened to the day like $2 or a dollar? Like he goes, no, I need 12 bucks. And I said, listen, dude, you've got money. You've got your money. If you want to buy a yo-yo, then buy a yo-yo. I said, if you can find $12, have at it. Go buy it. I don't, whatever. And so I wasn't clear in my directions there. So come to find out, he goes, he's looking under the seat cushions of the couch. He's scrounging. He's looking for 12 bucks. And I'm like, man, he's, he's never going to find it. Like he, if he would just take his money that's in his wallet that he's gotten for his birthdays and everything else that he's been stockpiling over there, he's probably got more money than I do. If he would just use that, then, then, then he would be good. But, you know, it's funny how we are with our money. Like he's kind of like, I'm not spending my money. Like, I'll spend your money, but I'm not spending my money. And so he's scrounging, looking for change. And he, and I don't, I just kind of lost, I just forgot about it. I didn't pay much attention to it. Till I saw his vice principal like a few days later and he's like, dude, did you really send your son with all that change up to my, to my desk? And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, you didn't know about this? I said, know about what? And he said, man, Brock showed up to school the other day with several like Ziploc baggies full <laughs> of quarters and nickels and dimes and pennies. And he had $12 exactly, but it was all changed. And he said, I had to count it all out. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, he got into my change bucket at home. That little scavenger, that little sinner, like I'm going to get him when I get home. And so I, I, I went to my wife and she goes, yeah, you didn't see him the other day. He had your, your big change bucket on your nightstand and he counted out all of your quarters, all of your change. And I said, and you let him? And she said, yeah, he said that you told him if he found $12 <laughs> that, he could, that he could spend, that he could get a yo-yo. So he found it in your nightstand drawer. And I said, what about his money? And I said, it's funny how he doesn't want to spend his money, but he more than gladly spends dad's money. And it's interesting how a lot of us are the same way. Because when I look at him, I'm like, dude, listen, 
Even that money in your wallet, even that money that you've stockpiled, all the money that you have, it's because I've given it to you. Every nickel you've got, every dime you've got, every dollar, everything you have is because I have given it to you or your mother has given it to you. So we have blessed you with that and you wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for us. It's interesting how we're so funny with what we would call our money. Like we have this tendency to hold tightly to our stuff, just like my son holds tightly to his little stockpile of cash in his Velcro Spider-Man wallet. And he's going, this is mine. Like nobody's getting their hands on this. I'm not spending this on the yo-yo. I'll spend your money, but I'm not spending my money. It's funny how we act when it comes to our money. But listen, church, as followers of Jesus, we need to recognize that there is more to life than all the stuff. There's so much more to life than accumulating more stuff and stockpiling more money and putting all this money away. In fact, Jesus would say it like this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, listen, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's hard for us Americans to understand because we have been indoctrinated and trained and taught that, that the more toys you have, you, you, the better off you are. There's the, there used to be an old t-shirt that he who dies with the most toys wins. Can I tell you that's a lie? That's not true. You can't take it with you. You're not going to heaven with all your toys and all your stuff. It's going to be left here by and somebody else is going to spend it all for you. You can't take it with you. Jesus knows our selfish tendencies. And he says, listen, guard yourself. Guard yourself from being sucked into this greedy way of living. He says, as believers, we are to live with an eternal perspective and to live with a gospel advancing generosity, leveraging what God has entrusted to us in a way that, emphasize, that impacts all of eternity. He says, let us keep our eyes fixed on those things that are above, those things that are not seen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You belong to an unseen, for now, eternal kingdom. That's where you should be investing your money, where no one can come in and steal it. No one can take it away. He says, those are the things, that's how we should live. We should live in light of eternity. We should live with a, a gospel generosity that is all about investing in the things that really matter. And so this morning, as we continue in this series, I want us to look at four truths, four truths that we need to remember if we're going to live with a gospel advancing generosity. If you have your Bibles and you haven't already, I would encourage you to open them up to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. Starting in verse 8, here is what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, he says for, um, for and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, how many things? All things, at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, 
So Paul, notice what Paul is doing here. He's emphasizing the magnitude of God's provision and generosity towards us. He wants us to know that he, God, is the great provider. In verse 9, where he goes on, he actually quotes Psalm 112.9. And he says this, he says, For he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Again, he is emphasizing the generosity of God in supplying for our needs. Verse 10, he says, For he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Again, Paul is quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Isaiah 55.10. The point is this, is that God is the great provider in all that we have. He says it very clearly there. He says, the very seed that the farmer plants in order to grow the grain by which we make the bread that we eat is given to us by God. God is the great giver and provider of all that we have. You see, you wouldn't have the bread if he didn't give you the seed to plant to make the grain in order to make the bread. You see where I'm going with that? People, people argue that all the time. They try to act like, well, nobody's ever given me anything. I've earned this. I'm the one who's done this. I went to college. I got a degree. I, I've, I've, I've built this career. I've climbed the corporate ladder. I've done everything on my own. I'm the one that's accomplished all this. I've built this business from the ground up and multiplied it. I've done all of these things by the sweat of my brow. And to that, I would say, let me remind you, that you would not have a brain to go to college. You would not be able to read and study and remember those things. Those are all gifts from God. You would not have the grit and the determination and the giftings and the, the skill to build the business and to do all these things that you've done if God had not blessed you and given you those things in the first place. It's interesting how people can kind of get all out of line when it comes to the gifts and the abilities and the blessings, the seed that they have in their life that they are planting and reaping a harvest from. They forget where it came from in the first place. You see, God is the source of all that I have. Whenever someone starts to kind of, kind of go down that path with me, I remind them very gently and very kindly the fact that you woke up this morning with breath in your lungs and a heart that is beating in your chest and the ability to put two feet down on the ground and stand up vertical and put one foot in front of the other and go and live your life and earn a living, your very life, the very breath in your lungs is on loan to you and it is a gift from God. He is the source of all that I have. There is nothing in my possession that I did not receive from Him. This is a game changer in the way that I live and the way that I use my resources when I realize that it all comes from Him in the first place. Like it, just like my son, I'm like, it's all dad's money. It's all his. You didn't do anything. To, it's a blessing and a gift from Him that He has given to you and He wants you to manage well. He wants you to use it for His kingdom and His glory. You see, it's a game changer when I realize that everything comes from Him. And to recognize that all that I have, I have because God was generous towards me. 
Like he gave me this. It was his generosity that I have this in the first place. Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? If what we have we receive from God, if what we have we have received from God, then this eliminates our ability to, to boast or to brag in it and hold tightly to it. You see, if God is the source of all that I have and all that I have comes from Him, then how can I say no when He tells me to give some of it away? If I give my son $100 for his birthday, which I wouldn't, by the way, but if I gave my 10-year-old son $100 for his birthday, and then a month later I said, hey, Brock, I, I need you to take like $10 of that, or maybe even $20. let us be extra generous. I need you to take $20 of that. And there's a kid in your class whose dad lost his job, and they're taking up a special collection to get some gift cards to bless that family with. And I, and I just said, hey, you've got 100. Let's give 10 or 20 of it away towards a gift card to help your friend out. And he looked at me and said, no, I'm not doing that. We got a big problem on our hands. I would say, wait a minute, hold on, time out. Do you realize that I gave you that 100 in the first place? And I'm just asking you to give a little bit of it away to help someone else, to be generous. Don't forget where it came from. I want you to be generous uh, with the money and with the time, with the talents, with the resource, with the seed that I've given you. I want you to now sow it in the right places that you might reap a harvest from it. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 17. If, you're, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to paraphrase some of it. Let me just remind you of this story. I think we see this beautiful picture of gospel generosity in this story. It's a story of Elijah and a widow. Elijah is living in a time where there's been extreme drought and extreme famine. God is, Elijah is a prophet, the man of God, and God is using him in some incredible ways. And, but, it, but there's famine in the land. In the chapters before, in chapter 16, we see that God is meeting Elijah's need by using even the ravens and the birds of the air. Elijah's wondering, like, where's my next meal going to come from? And he wakes up, and all of a sudden, these ravens deliver some sirloin steak. And so he's got this ribeye being dropped from the sky. He's enjoying this meat and this food that is being delivered to his door or to his, his, his location each and every day by the birds of the air. So it's just this amazing, miraculous thing. And then God says, hey, I need you to get up and leave this place, and I need you to go to this town. And so he goes to this town of Zarephath, and he says, in this town there is a, a widow. This widow there is going to feed you. And so that's where we see the story pick up. And so Elijah obeys the Lord. He goes to this town of Zarephath and he's sitting there and he sees this woman. And as he sees her goes, go by, he, he, he asks her this. He says, and he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I might drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, oh yeah, and by the way, bring me a morsel of bread. Like I'm kind of hungry too. Bring me this morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, listen, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in a jug. 
And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare for it for myself and my son that we might eat this last meal and then die because we're going to starve to death. Like this is all we have. Like the famine has hit us hard. I don't have anything left. All I have is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, just barely enough to make one small little cake, as they call it, a little, a little loaf of bread. My son and I are going to enjoy, eat and enjoy this last meal, and then we don't know what else is going to happen. We're going we're to probably die of starvation because we don't have anything left. Elijah said to her, he, he encourages her to go. He says, as the Lord has commanded, just go and do what I've said. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as I have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and she did as Elijah had said. And she and her entire household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. What do we see in this story? We see this woman who hardly has anything left. And the man of God, Elijah, comes to her and he asks her to be generous to him to meet his needs. And she's like, I don't have anything to give. And so Elijah again encourages her, do what I've asked and the Lord will take care of you. He says, your flour will not run out. Your oil will not run out. If you will sow this seed, God will replace it many times. And so she does what Elijah asks her. And in this story, we see that God met Elijah's need through the sacrifice and obedience of someone else. God met his needs through someone else. But we also see that in her obedience and generosity, her needs were met. I don't know what would have happened to her if she had just disobeyed. If she had just said, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to eat what, keep it to myself. This is mine. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to obey the Lord. I'm going to make this bread for me and my son. We're going to eat it. And then that's that. You fend for yourself. It would have been a different story we'd be telling up here today. But God speaks to her. She, she obeys. She sacrifices. She gives generously. And not only does she meet the needs of Elijah, but all of her needs and all of her household needs are met for many, many days until God ends this great famine in the land. You see, that's what we see in verse 8 in 2 Corinthians 9. It says that, and God is able, that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God met her needs. His grace was sufficient for her. She met the needs of Elijah. And so her, he was, she was able to abound in the good works of helping Elijah, the prophet of God. You see, all of God was enough. God was able to meet all of her needs in His sufficiency, and His grace was sufficient to her. All grace, all sufficiency, all things at all times abound in every and all good works. What are the good works? The good works are generosity. She was generous. She didn't have much to give, but she gave all that she had. And then by giving all that she had, God met her needs and all of her family's needs. 
You see, God is not only the supplier of all that I have to live, but listen, church, He is also the supplier of all that He commands me to give. He is, all, he is the one who gives the seed for sowing. All the seed comes from Him. In other words, we give the resources by which we have been given. We give of what the seed that we've been given. It's all His. It all comes from Him. He gives me the seed that I need, and then He wants me to sow it. And then in sowing, He will replace that seed and give me more to keep sowing time after time after time. Let me apply this simply for you this morning. Whatever you have has been given to you by God. It belongs to Him, and He is calling you and me to be generous with what we have, with all that He has given to us. Verse 11 in 2 Corinthians 9 says it this way. He says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He says, You will be enriched in every way. Paul makes it crystal clear here that God blesses generosity. When he's speaking about us being enriched, he doesn't say, he says you will be, not that you might be or you could be. He says, no, you will be enriched in every way, not just monetarily, not just financially, but in every way. He will meet all of your needs. He will replace the seed that you sow probably 10, 20, or 100 fold. This is not a prosperity gospel. I'm not sitting up here today saying, if you give $100, you're going to get $1,000 later today. That's not the way it works. Can it? Yes, sometimes it can. Sometimes God can just show up in miraculous ways and just bless you where it just, it, it just blows you away and it blindsides you and you go, man, I didn't see that coming. I didn't expect that. But God showed up and he met my needs in every single way. His needs are, he meets all of our needs. His grace is sufficient for us. He wants us to be uh, generous because we are enriched in every way. And listen, here's the second truth to remember about living with a gospel advancing generosity this morning is that God always blesses generosity. It's It's what Paul is emphasizing in this verse, these verses. He says, the point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully, generously, will also reap bountifully, generously. It's the law of the harvest. It's a natural law, a law of the universe. It's the way that it works. If a farmer only plants a few seeds, he's not going to reap a very large harvest in the fall, is he? But if he plants enough seed, he will reap a generous harvest during the harvest season because he was generous in his sowing of the seed. It's just the way it works. So I don't know why we expect it to be any different in any other area of our lives. It's the way that God has designed it. It's the way that he has set it up from the very beginning. This word bountifully could easily be translated as blessing. See, I love the way that John MacArthur states this. John MacArthur says it like this. He says, generous givers will reap generous blessings from God, while those who withhold selfishly fearing loss will forfeit gain. In other words, if you try to hold on to it, what you can't keep anyways, you're going to suffer loss. Like It's not yours in the first place. You can't keep it, so you might as well sow it in some fertile soil, give it away, and watch what God does with it. 
Watch the harvest that comes out of us. We see these promises all throughout Scripture over and over and over again. I want to give you a few of these on rapid fire. In Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Or for you, Baptist, grape juice. All right? He'll fill your, vine, your vats with grapes. Some of you got it. He'll, he'll, you'll be overflowing. You'll have plenty to eat, plenty to drink. You're not going to have to worry about anything else. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25 says this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. For whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs nineteen seventeen. For whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the, full, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. In other words, we are blessed to be a blessing we have, if we will give what we've been given, God will continue to give more so that we can continue to give more. This doesn't mean that you and I give in order that we, that we will receive this blessing of monetary value. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be money. And, and listen, church, that doesn't matter at the end of the day. If the God of the universe, who has all things at His disposal, promises to that he will bless you and me, that he will reward our generosity. It doesn't matter to me what the blessing is. If God who owns it all says, hey, I want you to be generous. I want you to give. I want you to, to meet the needs of others. And, and I just obey. Then I trust him to, to give me whatever I need. If I see one of my boys in need, I'm not going to withhold from them and go, no, fend for yourself. Figure it out. Go, find, go, go catch some fish. Go, go find a way to cook on your own. I mean, how foolish would that be? And I'm a sinful, corrupt human being. I'm a, a sinful man, as the Scripture says. But I know how to give good gifts to my kids. How much more then does your heavenly Father, who is perfect in every way, see His kids in every one of their needs and not meet every one of them when we need it, right on time, just like He says He will? So if God who owns it all says, I need you to be generous, then I trust him that he's going to take care of me by giving me the blessings that I need. Whether that's monetarily or in some other way, he will supply and meet my needs. And I promise you this, that it will be far greater than whatever I would have gained by my greed. Whatever blessing God wants to give me for me being generous will be far greater than anything I could have gained by holding on to it and by being greedy. I promise you that. In fact, I, I had a, a, a friend tell me this past week in our life group over in Spring Hill, he was sharing a story as we were talking about generosity. And he said, man, I, I'll never forget. He said, I, was, I, was dry, I worked at this job and I would drive down this road. And every day I would drive down that road to work there, I would pass by this trailer. And he said, one day I was driving by this trailer and he goes, it's as clear as day as like God just spoke to me and prompted, pushed on my heart, prompted me and said, hey, I want you to give the person that lives in that trailer your full paycheck this week. And my buddy said, uh, excuse me? Just like most of us would. What'd you say? 
uh, God said, I, hey, I want you to give your full paycheck to this person that lives in this trailer. And my buddy said, nah, I'm going to turn the radio up a little louder. I'm going to act like I don't hear that. And so he drove to work, worked all day on the way home, passed by the trailer. Hey, I want you to give that paycheck to the guy that lives in this, tra- in this trailer. Now, I don't know about that. So he goes home, and, and the next day, same thing. Drives by, <clears throat> it's me again. I want you to give that money, that check, to that person that lives in that house. Let me turn that up a little bit more. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday rolls by. He goes to his fiance that he, he's getting married in a couple months. And he said, hey, um, man, I can't shake this. He said, I'm driving by this trailer every single day on the, in the morning and in the evening. Every time I pass by this, like God will not leave me alone. He keeps telling me I'm supposed to give my entire paycheck to this person that I don't even know. I don't, I've never seen the person. I don't know the person. How crazy is that? And she looks at him and she says, he says, tell me that I'm not being selfish. Tell me I'm not crazy. Like, am I really supposed to give everything I've worked for this week away to someone that I don't even know? And his fiance looked at him and said, if God is telling you to give it away, then we're going to give it away. And so that Friday came. He said, man, Daniel, you don't understand how hard this was. Like, I worked so many hours of overtime that week. This was the largest check that I had received all year long. When I got that check, I had worked 60 hours that week. He said, it would, I wasn't making much back then. He said, but this was well over $1,000 for one week of work. And he said, I got that check and thought, man, God, you've got a sense of humor, don't you? He said, you really want me to give this away? And so he and his fiance drove up to the trailer that Friday after work, knocked on the door. The man answers the door and they, he invites them in. They kind of introduced themselves and they said, hey, we, this is going to sound insane. This is going to sound crazy to you. But I drive by your house every day on my way to work. And on Monday, God told me I was supposed to give you my paycheck this week. And he said, I didn't want to hear it. I just drove by on Tuesday, drove by on Wednesday. I kept arguing with God. I kept trying to say to God, this is my money, God. This is what I've worked for. It's all mine. It's not, I don't, I, why should I give this to someone that I don't even know? And he said, and I couldn't sleep. He would keep me up at night. And I looked at my fiance and I told her what was going on. And she uh, encouraged me and kind of helped God out and said, hey, then we're going to do this. We're going to obey. This is what God has asked asked us to do. We're going to do it. The guy stands there just like a deer in the headlights uh, with tears running down his cheeks. And he says, man, you don't understand. Like I have five kids. He said, I lost my job two weeks ago. And he said, I've been praying every day, asking God to somehow meet my needs. And you knocked on the door. What we've got to understand, church, is that when God speaks and God asks us to, the Father who owns it all and he tells us to give something away, is that you and I and our generosity may be the answer to someone's prayer. When we give of our money and we give of our resources that aren't really ours anyways, we're just borrowing it for a little while. And the Father says, hey, I want you to give some of that away to this person in need. And we give it away. You've got to understand, God knows what he's doing. God knows every single person, every single need. And if he asks you and me as his kids to be used by him and to give to someone else to meet their needs, then he knows what he's doing. He's pretty good at what he does. And so he meets our needs and he answers our prayers, but he also uses us to be the answer to someone else's prayers. And so this friend of mine walked in and he gave this check away and he walked away and he kind of gave the guy a hug and he said, man, I hope it's a blessing to you. And him and his fiance got in the car and he did what all of us would do. He goes, man, that was mind blowing. That was insane. I don't know. I'm sorry I ever doubted you, God. 
and they walked away, but then they still had those doubts. They come like, okay, now what am I going to do? Like, I don't have another check coming. The next week he goes into work and his, and his boss comes up to him and hands him an envelope. And he says, hey, I know you weren't expecting this. We usually don't do this, but here's a Christmas bonus. And he said, and I opened this check. I mean, I didn't know this was coming. And he said it was two times the amount I'd just given away. He said, God met my needs, every single one of them. And we just, he said, I just wept. And he said, I'm sorry, I doubted you, God. And he said, do I get it right every time? No. He said, but there's many times when I'm feeling selfish and I'm trying to hold on that God always takes me back to that place and says, no, wait a minute. Remember, I, I asked you to do this and you did it. And look what I did. I, I gave you seed and I asked you to sow it. And then I replaced the seed that I told you to sow. And I've done it over and over and over again in your life. And I will continue to bless you in order that you might be a blessing and a blessing to others. That's gospel generosity. Verse 12, Paul says it like this. He says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see, Paul wants them to know that not only does this generous gift provide for the basic needs of the brothers and sisters, but more importantly, it will result in those people worshiping God because His provision through them. Just like in my friend's story, this man was praying, asking God for, to answer his prayers, to provide for his needs. Someone knocks on the door, shows up, hands him a check that he doesn't even know, and it results in him saying, thank you, God, that you heard my prayers. Thank you that you answered my prayers. And so it results in him worshiping God for meeting his needs, just like it's going to with the Jerusalem church. When they see that the Gentiles gave to meet their needs, they're going to worship God. Just like my friend who sowed the seed and gave it away, when he gave it away, he walked away and it resulted in him worshiping God. That's what happens when we sow seed in the right soil, when we obey, when we're generous towards the advancement of the gospel. It results not in our own own gain, but it results in worship to God. And Paul is wanting these church, these Christians in Corinth to understand this principle, to understand that this is the way that it works. He says this, he says in verse 13, he says, for it is by their approval of this service that they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all Others. Paul is saying that through this gift that these believers in Jerusalem will see the power of the transforming work of Jesus in the life of these Gentile believers. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying their confession of the gospel will be validated by their participation. You ever heard the saying that like talk is cheap? He said, well, you can say a lot of things. But you, were, you won't, you, very rarely will you invest and put your money into something you don't really believe in. And so Paul's saying, listen, talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. When this church sees that you gave generously, the church at Macedonia, when you gave out of your poverty, you gave out of your affliction because of all that you had received from Christ, in your giving, you are going to validate your confession of the gospel. The people are going to say, oh, they really believe this. Their hard, selfish, uh, greedy hearts have been changed and been, tr been transformed by the power of the gospel. Only the gospel can do that, by the way. 
Only the gospel can get to the, those deep, hard places, those greedy, selfish places, and then soften it and transform it and make it new and make it want to give towards something that it didn't want to give to in the first place. Only the gospel can do that to us. He's saying, listen, this is what happens. When they see your generosity, they're going to be blown away. It's going to validate your confession of Christ, and it's going to result in them worshiping God because of His saving power, that He is also saving Gentiles and Jews. And Paul is just reminding them that it is all about Him and that God is glorified when we live, when you and I live generously. He says, when we give, it is an act of worship. Not only are the needs of the recipient being met, but it also results in glorifying God. This past week, a team of ours went to Mexico City, and uh, Pastor George, our missions pastor, took the team down there, and um, they, they were able to do a lot of missions work, and they were out in the parks talking to people, um, witnessing to different people, and, and just sharing the gospel wherever they went. They were partnering with one of our missionaries that lives there, and so when George came back, I was sitting down with him in his office, and we were talking about the trip, and he goes, man, I, I got to tell you a story. Like, you're not going to believe this. And so George goes on to tell me this story. And I've got a picture of some guys up here I want you to see. And George was uh, sharing me, with me a story about these two gentlemen in the middle. Uh, these two gentlemen in the middle, they live in Mexico City. The gentleman on the right in the brown leather jacket uh, has lived a long life uh, with the, in the drug cartel selling drugs uh, in and out of the United States, always on the run, um, just in a very, it just has lived a very hard and corrupt life. But he lives there, and, and George said, man, it's crazy. When we would walk with this guy and talk with him, like everyone in that city, everyone as he walked down the streets knew this guy. Like he's, they're waving at him. He just, he just owned the streets. Like they just, knew, he's like the mob boss, basically. And so George is like, man, this, this guy, uh, had a relationship with our missionary friend. He knew we were Christians. He knew who we were. And so his grandmother was really, really sick. And his grandmother uh, it was sick, so they asked us to come and pray for her. And so we said, well, okay, what time? They said, hey, can you be here tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning? They said, yes. So George and the team went to the grandmother's house. They prayed for the grandmother. And then our missionary that was there with them that lives there, he, he starts preaching and talking to them in Spanish. And George said, as I sat and watched, I could tell that he's presenting the gospel to all of them. And he says, all of a sudden, I look around the room, and every single family member that's in that room is just standing there with tears flowing down their face. And I could tell that he was giving them the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And all of a sudden, every single hand in the room went up, and every single one of them that morning prayed to receive Christ. And then the two gentlemen in the middle were standing there, really unmoved by it, just standing there watching it all take place. But they heard every word and they saw the response. Later that day when they left, George and, and our missionary received a text from the gentleman in the leather jacket. And he said, hey, can you be at my house at two o'clock today? George and his team were caught up. They were running behind. This guy kept texting, are you coming? Are you coming? We really need to talk to you. Uh, it's important. And they said, yes, we're on our way. We'll be there in just a minute. So George and the team show up and, and they sit down with him. And he says, listen, I saw everything that you did this morning. I heard every word. And he goes, as I sat there and listened, he goes, I realized um, that, man, my life has been nothing but a train wreck. Mistake after mistake. I've done so much harm. I've hurt so many people. And he said, I'm so sick and tired of living the way that I live. 
I've known all of my life that something was missing. And when I heard the gospel this morning, I realized that that was it. And he said, I I wondered if I could receive Jesus too. And they said, absolutely, that's why we're here. So they prayed with the two gentlemen in the middle that day. And that both of those guys prayed to receive Christ and they were made brand new. I think that's worth celebrating. So what just happened there in that story is called your generosity. Your your generosity advancing the gospel. Just like the generosity of the Macedonians, just like the generosity of the church at Corinth went and changed people's lives in Jerusalem, the generosity of new beginnings in Gilmer, Texas and in Longview, Texas, not only changes and transforms people's hearts and lives in Gilmer and Longview, in the state of Texas, in the country that we live in, but it also goes abroad. It goes to Mexico City. It goes to Africa. It goes to to the Amazon. It goes to all these places, to the ends of the earth. We're fulfilling the Great Commission that we're doing what God has called us to do, that we are obeying and that we are being generous. You and I, and I may never go to Mexico City, but we already have been there. Our, our resources, our, our, everything that we give to sends those people out. The gospel goes out. The gospel is being communicated to them. Lives are being changed. Entire families are being saved. That entire city will probably be changed and transformed by those two guys because they met Jesus because of you guys. And so I think that that is us seeing that the gospel goes out and then it comes back to us here in Gilmer and it results in us praising and worshiping God because of his greatness and his goodness. So I think that deserves another celebration. Let me wrap this up for us this morning. You see, what Paul does at the end of this, as we make our, see our fourth and final truth is this. Paul brings at the end of that chapter in verses 14 and 15, he brings it all back full circle. And here's what he does. He says this, is that God has already given the greatest gift. God has already given you and me the greater gift. In other words, Paul wants us to see, just like he did the Corinthian church and the Macedonian church and the Jerusalem church, he wants the church at New Beginnings in 2019 to see that you can't outgive God. He has already given us the greater gift. He has set the standard for generosity. He has already given you and me the greatest gift that he could ever give in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. He says in verse 14, While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. This indescribable gift. The one who was rich became poor so that you might become rich. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave He was generous. He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His own Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. God has given us the greater gift. God is generous. He sets the standard. He leads the way. He sets the example for what gospel generosity looks like. And for as his kids, we should follow in his footsteps. We should say, God, how can I not give when you've given me everything? I was broke. I had nothing to offer. And you became poor so that I could become rich. And I don't know where you're at this morning, New Beginnings, in this uh, room this size. I can't help but think there might be someone in this room 
that hasn't received the greater gift yet. There might still be someone sitting in there going, I don't know if that's for me. I'm here to tell you today, church, that God is crazy about you. He loves you. He proved it once and for all by sending his only son, making the one who is rich poor so that you could become rich. So I want to pray for you this, this morning. And if there's anyone in here this morning who hasn't accepted Christ, then maybe today's the day of your salvation. For those of you that have followed Jesus, maybe today's the day you realize, man, all that I have is a gift from you. And God, I'm sorry for the times I get that out of order. I'm sorry for the times that I try to hold on to it, trying to keep that which I really can't keep in the first place. It's all yours. And God, you've entrusted it to me. And so God, help me to be generous. Help me to live my life in light of the gospel and to be generous in helping advance the gospel so that others may come to see you and know you for who you are. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the truth that we have seen this morning in your word. God, I pray for the, anyone under the sound of my voice this morning that, that's sitting there today that realizes, man, they maybe they haven't received the greatest gift. God, may today be the day that you break their hearts, that they see you for who you are, that they see what you've done, and that they would just respond, that they would ask you to be their Lord and ask you to be their Savior. And God, today would be the day of their salvation, and we will worship and celebrate and give you all the glory for it. Father, for those of us in this room that, that are your kids and we get it out of order sometimes and we try to hold on to that that's not ours, God, may today be the day that you realign our priorities, that you help us to see that all we have comes from you and you're just asking us to be generous and to give it away so that it would continue to advance the, the gospel and build your kingdom. God, we love you and thank you for loving us. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.